Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 383 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff. I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. So excited to have Mark Batterson back on the podcast. We talk about all kinds of things, including leading through this pandemic and uh, how to win the day and so much more. And this episode is brought to you by the Ascent Leader Cohorts. Apply for their craft and character cohort today by going to theascentleader.org. And it's brought to you by the 2021 Church Leader Toolkit, something I put together, brand new resource. It's free. And uh, we just want to help you get a kickstart on 2021 because, yeah, things are getting easier, right? You can get one for free by texting the word toolkit to 33777 or go to churchleadertoolkit.com where you can access that today. We're pretty excited about bringing that to you. So uh, Mark Batterson has led National Community Church in Washington, D.C. They have seven pre-COVID locations. They've been an online church all of 2020. Uh, They just landed a 100,000 square foot space that will include an event venue, a child development center, and so much more. Mark is also the New York Times bestselling author of over 20 books, and um, ah, he's also a really good friend. Uh, Tony and I, my wife and I, really love spending time with him and Laura. And on today's episode, we just, uh, well, we kind of go all over the place. So we talk about how to resist the pressure of partisan politics. There's something that got worse in 2020 or harder, the future of the church, and also how to win the day. On the What I'm Thinking About segment at the end of this episode, I want to give you a tip that I hope will make your life better. It's basically how to say no and why you can't have five minutes of my time. So this is something everybody asks you, right? They're like, can I just have five minutes of your time? I'm going to show you how to say no to that and other requests that aren't strategic for you. That's coming up if you listen to the very end of the show. Hey, um, you know, (laughs) you need some friends around you, right? And this very unique season is one of the most challenging environments you've ever experienced to lead in. So maybe you find yourself needing help with how to communicate more effectively, particularly as we pivot to digital. So if you're a main stage communicator, male or female, you are invited to join the Ascent Leader Cohorts. The Ascent Leaders Craft and Character Cohort will help you focus not only on how to become a better communicator, a great communicator, but how to ensure that the personal character of a pastoral leader always outpaces the craft of communication. So, so, so important. Once again, this year, we've seen how important that is. So be connected with a like-minded, A-level set of peers, and you'll have access to coaches like Steve Carter, Derwin Gray, John Ortberg, Harvey Carey, and Chris Brown. You have to apply for a cohort, but you can do that today by going to theascentleader.org. That's theascentleader.org. I have been part of those cohorts. I can tell you they are fantastic. And also, yeah, 2020, almost history, but what on earth do you need to do to prepare for 2021? Things just get more complicated all the time. So what my team and I have done is we put together a free 2021 Church Leaders Toolkit. We just want you to have. Um, It's free. So if your team is wrestling with creating content that people actually read and watch, figuring out how to strengthen online engagement, how to navigate better digital preaching and communication, and then how to make the right pivots for the future when everything's so uncertain. That's what I try to unpack for you in this free 2021 Church Leader Toolkit. 
There is no bulletproof formula. It's not easy, but I think the toolkit will give you and your team strategies, tips, and lessons to tackle the upcoming year better than you would otherwise. So to access it, text toolkit, that's just the word toolkit, to 33777 or go to churchleadertoolkit.com. That's toolkit to 33777 or just go to churchleadertoolkit.com. That is my gift to you. I really hope it helps. Now, without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with Mark Batterson. Oh, Mark, it's so good to have you back on the podcast. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Carrie. Good to uh, hang out again. Hang out, catch up. So we got to get updated. Uh, I have had a chance to uh, interview you on my other podcast, Church Pulse Weekly. And we talked a little bit about some of the big changes in 2020, if people want to go and check that out. But I'd love to give listeners of this show just the overview. Man, it's been a year like nobody called, man. What, what has been the biggest impact on Mark Batterson and on National Community Church? Yeah, who would have thought that uh, COVID, as challenging as it is, wouldn't even be the biggest challenge that we're facing, at least yeah. not pastoring a church in Washington, D.C., Mm. Uh, honestly, right now, it's the the political polarization that we feel kind of ripping at the seams and being a being five blocks from the Supreme Court and uh, a mile from the the Capitol, a little bit further to the White House. You know, we're we're feeling it. H- how do we uh, function as a nonpartisan church that reaches lots of people on both sides of the aisle? It's getting harder and harder because Carrie, and it's not just the the cancel culture piece. Yeah, it, it's there's so many litmus tests. Um, there's a litmus test what, for what do you mean? Like- everything. Well, um, for example, um, president gets COVID. Do you pray or not pray? in your service. People will leave one way or the other. Really? Um, So if you don't pray, people will walk out. If you pray, people will walk out. Yeah. In in some ways it it feels like a little bit of a, a no win. And I'm an eternal optimist. Um, Yeah. I was going to say, you're not a divisive personality at all. Like no way. Well, and I I will right up front say, you know, Proverbs 26, 2 and 3 is a key leadership principle for me. It says, um, rebuke a fool or he'll seem wise in his own eyes. Mm. And then the very next verse, it says, do not rebuke a fool. Um, (laughs) Carrie, here's the deal. If you're dealing with foolishness, you can't win. You can't win one way or the other. And so sometimes as a leader, you need to recognize that, well, you can please all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, but you can't please all the people all the time. So I tell our staff, hey, it all goes back to the bell curve. No matter what, there are going to be 16% of people who are resistors or laggards. I don't care if you're Moses coming down Mount Sinai mm-hmm. with two stone tablets. So there, there, there we are with a, with a running start. And I would add it's the racial tension. Now, we, we've lived in that space for a long time. We have a very multicultural church, but we've discovered we have to take it to another level. And so um, we formed a multicultural team. It's one of our three wins. Uh, what's important now on our strat ops mm. for 2021. And uh, we've hired uh, consultation help. Um, and we've realized it's something you have to disciple. 
if you're going to experience racial unity, you have to disciple. It cannot be a sermon when a news event happens. It's got to be a long-term strategy. And then throw in the fact that uh, uh, theaters, five five of our campuses meet in theaters, and news came out that theaters are going to uh, close indefinitely. We're not sure when or how they're going to Are gonna some reopen. of those regal theaters? Like while we're... Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... So here we are with higher levels of uncertainty than we've ever experienced, more tension than we've ever experienced. And I always go back to this story in Exodus. Um, Moses is stuck between the the Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And I, I love this verse. Do not panic. Do not panic. Stand still and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Carrie, I'm believing that for leaders Mm. right now, that this is our moment to stay calm and carry on. This is our moment to believe by faith that the best is yet to come. We're here for such a time as this. Those are not just empty biblical cliches. Those are the facts, folks, that uh, if this is the gap that we are called to stand in, and this is when leaders lead. Hmm. I got, I got to ask you, I mean, there's so many questions even in that. And uh, I want to talk about sort of the new work that you're releasing, which I'm really excited about. But uh, people say, is it worse now than it was? So you've been in the Capitol for 25 years. How, how has partisanship intensified over that quarter century? Uh it really has. Yeah. It's it's visceral. It's not our imagination. It's not the no. media. It's just worse. No, I'll I'll give you one anecdote. Um, four years ago, when President Trump was uh, inaugurated, our, our coffee house is again just a few blocks from the Capitol. So as you can imagine, on inauguration day, uh, we do killer business. Um, we, we, I mean, it's like a banner day. Uh, it was very interesting that, that the day of the inauguration, we had all kinds of, um, you know, make, make America great again hats, you know, wa- walking through. The very next day, there were protests. And, uh, and we had another banner day. Basically, Carrie, we will serve anyone coffee. <laughs> uh, but, but we quickly discovered that, okay, this is escalating in a unique way. And, uh, you know, tone so much of leadership is EQ. It's emotional intelligence. It's, it's being a peacemaker, a grace giver, a tone setter. It's the posture that you strike. And right, right now, um, issues aren't even being debated. Really. It's about personalities clashing and, uh, I'm being more blunt than I normally am. No, no, no. But, but I mean, you've, you've sat through the Clinton years, the Bush years. Was Clinton president when you, uh, started a church? He, he was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, we're, I'm that old. <laughs> <laughs> so Clinton, Bush, uh, Obama, and now Trump. You've, yep. you've been through four sitting presidents and you've definitely seen, cause I mean, we've all seen it, but you know, literally, and if you've ever been to NCC, uh, Mark is not exaggerating. They are a few minutes walk from the Capitol building. You can see it from barracks row. I mean, you look down the street, there's the U S Capitol and uh, just down the road from the Supreme court, not that far from the white house. Uh, how are you handling that as a staff? 
What are you saying about bringing unity where there is so much division? Yeah, I'll give you one example. An average person spends 142 minutes on social media. Mm. That's two hours and 22 minutes, which represents 15% of our waking time. Wow. So, Carrie, is that something we need to steward? Is that something we need to coach and train and really be good at? I, I, I'm asking, you know, that's kind of, I guess, a rhetorical <laughs> question that, and, and I realized we hadn't done much of that. And yet so much of the, the social media, I think, unfortunately, it can advocate for a just cause. And I think that's a positive yeah. and it can be a tremendous platform. Uh, unfortunately, uh, all too often, it's so easy to hide behind uh, your, your at sign and uh, it actually contributes to that polarization. And you say things that you wouldn't say in person. And so um, all, all of that to say this, like we're, we're coaching our team a little bit more. How do we engage in that space? How do we represent Christ? Um, uh, how do you take a proverb like a gentle answer turns away wrath? Hmm. How do you take that and apply it to social media? And, and then how do we reach across the aisle that is a, a much further debate. So when we talk about standing in the gap, if you're trying to straddle it, it's getting further and further apart. I mean, it feels like we're doing the split some days. <laughs> so, How do you preach yeah. to a truly bipartisan church? Because, or tripartisan, quadpartisan, you know, you probably have independents, you have uh, socialists, you've got some libertarians in the mix, as well as Democrats and Republicans. Because if you're really reaching the city, the culture, wherever you happen to be, that's what you're going to get. You're never going to get uh, a uniform uh, congregation. So how do you hold, how do you preach in that kind of tension, particularly when you're near the epicenter? Yeah, I, I think, I like to think of it as flipping the coin, that everything is, is two-sided. Job 11, mm. 6 says, true wisdom has two sides. So truth is found in the tension of opposites. And so if you only identify with every single plank of one party, mm. I, I don't know. Are, are you thoughtfully and prayerfully looking at every single issue? Um, and so uh, it, to me, you, you know, God has given us binocular vision. It's the ability to take the image from two eyes and see a combined uh, image. I think so much of leadership is that. It's, it's seeing both sides of it, and that takes a little bit of patience. It means you have to suspend your judgment sometimes. You have to do a lot of listening, and you can still hold to your conviction but you at least have to have an understanding and an appreciation for what, what the other side is saying, no matter what that other side is or what the issue is. And so um, we're, uh, we're living in the tension. You know, it's, it's of course, uh, uh, Andy Stanley, uh, there are problems to solve, uh, tensions to manage. There are more and more tensions to manage. Uh, but, but I also think these are the growth points. These are where... Um, I know a lot of leaders are are discouraged, frustrated, and and I I would be the first person to say, um, you know, leaders aren't exempt. We're we're in that one third of Americans that are probably experiencing anxiety and depression. Yeah, in fact, yeah. our our percentages might be higher because I, of the I think you you are probably right on that. Right. 
So, but, but I would also say God is, he is cultivating emotional strength in you. He is working out your emotional muscles. He, you are going to be a better leader at, at when we come out the other side of this than you were going in. Everybody, carry every leader I know is getting a master's degree in crisis leadership. <laughs> yeah. We didn't, none of us enrolled in it. We didn't enroll. None of, you know, we don't even really want the credit. No. But we're all, but listen, but it's we like are I'm all happy for this price. degree to be over. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I, I, I don't know the answer to this question, but I would imagine being, you know, a lot of the people who go to your church have jobs on the Hill. Um, and, and those jobs change every four years, but you've got some Democrats and Republicans. Do you get pressure? from some of the people in your church or various constituencies to take a more definitive stand on issues? Uh, and if so, how do you deal with that kind of pressure? Or maybe it's just not a factor. No, I mean, we, we feel that pressure. It's amazing how many emails I get from two different kind of political angles yeah. uh, often. Um, right. And, and I understand that. I appreciate it. Um, Mark, I wish it, you would be more X or why doesn't our church take a stand on Y? Those kinds of emails? Yeah. And, and Carrie, it, for some people, it will never be enough. And for others, it will always be too much. <laughs> it, right? On, right? On every yeah. single issue. Yeah. And so when, when we say nonpartisan, what we mean by that it's not that we don't engage in the political sphere. Listen, we honor uh, the system of government that we have, and we believe that we ought to be engaged. Now, we better understand that our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so we actually function as ambassadors to this earthly kingdom. And our ultimate hope is not in a political system. Listen, the kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Mm -hmm. Um if we read the end of the book, we know that. We know where it so goes. we, we, we honor the process. We honor people who are engaged uh, in that sphere, but we do not endorse um, party or candidate. We just we can't do it. Um, it's not what it, it's not who we are because of the space that we live in, and uh, that's not easy. It's not so easy. So I, I write you an email or yep. or uh, corner you on a Sunday morning. Mark, you need to take a position on the Supreme Court, abortion, uh, you know, or, or even how you do masks in, in your church at NCC if you were to reopen or have physical gatherings, that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm pushing you and I'm saying you need to be more, uh, you know, vocal on those things. How do you address me? Mm, that's a great, great question. Um, Bring me back to that one, but let me let me start with this one. Yeah, you know, a major a major issue is immigration policy. Um, okay, yeah. During during this particular uh, presidency, and you know, I, I I've really listened to both sides of that and uh, have some thoughts, even some personal convictions. We decided we're not going to engage. Like we're not going to sign onto a piece of policy and, and try to get that passed. But we do resettle 65% of the refugees in the D.C. metro area. Wow. So in other words, we're not, we aren't the one making the laws per se. I'm not saying that you can't advocate for 
for justice or something that a cause that you believe in. We've just made the decision. We want to be more known for what we're for than what we're against. Mm -hmm. And so, Hey, um, scripture says, let's care for the stranger, the alien, the marginalized, the poor. And one, one category are those who are resettling to this country. And so we made a decision. We believe it is our biblical imperative to care uh, for the refugee. And so that that would be one way mm. that we, we want our actions to speak. This is just than something we do regardless of who happens to be in office. Yes. Is that fair? Yeah, I, th- I think that is fair. Now, I do think that we're going to have to get a little bit more nuanced as it relates. Our, our theology is being deconstructed and reconstructed, and, and that's yeah, true of every generation. But um, I think we're going to have to have a more robust uh, theology of politics, mm. uh, a, a robust theology of sexuality. I mean, that's a, that's I'm not saying anything we don't know. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this is we are we are in a day and age where uh, more and more uh, we are counterculture, yeah. and we. There, there is a, uh, you know, a little, little play on words here. I, I don't think we're the moral majority uh, mm-hmm. anymore. And that, no. I, that's not, listen, that's not a, uh, I'm not I get it. It's not a slam. There's that. a question about whether um, we were back in 1985, either or 88 or whenever that was. Yeah. Right. And so I think we need the courage to, uh, if we have to choose between biblical correctness and political correctness, we've got to choose biblical correctness. But I think we have to do it going back to that kind of binocular vision, not not in a binary binary way that is um, A or B. You know, Jesus was so good at at um, finding the C, if you will. You know, it's it's John nine, right, where they they mm-hmm. he said. Hey, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus uh, said, wrong and wrong. Um, (laughs) This happened so that the glory of God could be revealed. And so, so often we resort to this binary thinking, and that, that contributes to the polarization. Instead of really being thoughtful and uh, flipping the coin and trying to see both sides. Well, it's interesting because I have talked to a number of leaders this year in this hyperpolarized culture who have had the, listen, if you talk about race again in the pulpit, we're going to pull our giving or uh, we're going to leave. They've got pressure from a board member. They've got pressure from a top donor. And so back to that hypothetical where you're getting the email, you're getting pigeonholed in you know, <laughs> the lobby and somebody asks you, Mark, you know, you really need to take a stand on or you need to address X. What would you typically say if it's a place you're not going to go? Because I understand, listen, I've spent most of my ministry not going to highly divisive partisan issues. I just don't do it. So how, how would yeah. you respond? Well, if we're talking specifically about racism, individual or even systemic, I, I do think I, I've realized that I've had to go through a little bit of a, um, a growth process. I, I felt like the Lord said to me several months ago, put your pride and prejudice on the altar, be unoffendable and listen and learn and lean in. And so, um, as it relates to that, I, I think there, there have been a time or two that I've been guilty of the sin of silence. Now, having mm-hmm. said that, Carrie, um, we have to be nuanced in our understanding. And I'll just give one example. Yeah. A cr- critical race theory. 
Um, the second I say that, it's going to trigger lots of different reactions in people who are listening and, and people wondering what, what my thought is on it. Um, my, my point is this. Uh, we Hashtags aren't going to get us where we need to go. Political. Here, here's the problem. So, some people are more evangelistic when it comes to their political ideology than it, than it does their biblical theology. Yeah. And so, and so, what I'm advocating is we've got to have a rock solid theology. You've got to understand. You've got to have a theology of dignity that we are created in the image of God. All of us. You've got to understand that every nation, tribe, people, language will surround the throne of God. Book of Revelation. You've got to. We've got to know history. We've got to know prophecy. Carrie, I I think um, it's almost like our hand got called, and we were holding a bunch of face cards without much of a. We didn't have much of a hand that mm. we're being forced to really become uh, better thinkers and really process things um, as leaders so that because uh, it's that theology that ultimately is going to lay the foundation for how we believe, how we act and the convictions that we are sold out to. And so. Um, that was a long answer to a short question. <laughs> it's a really, no, this is, you know, you're echoing uh, some thoughts that I've had in my own mind that our theology is not up to the task right now. Uh, and I'm, I'm not talking about the historic theology of the church. I'm talking about the ability of the current generation, myself included, to articulate it, to own it, to, uh, you know, I was watching a documentary on social media recently. A lot of people would have seen it, The Social Dilemma. And I'm like, they didn't interview a single philosopher or theologian. And I know mm -hmm. if that had been done a generation ago, they would have. And I don't know who would speak into that right now, which is a little bit terrifying. And I love where you're going with this by saying, you know, leaders, you need to be deeper on that stuff. So racism would be an example where you did take a stand and you formed that team that you talked about to work on. And then there are other issues that you're not going to touch with a 10 foot pole, right? Where you're like, yeah, we're not going there. That's a, that's a party platform position, not a, a gospel issue. And, and I guess, and I'll ask it one more time and then we'll let it go. But like, how do you tell the person who's badgering you to speak or be silent that you're not going to meet their need? Because sometimes you are going to speak and sometimes you're going to be silent when they want you to speak. Um, and, and I'm not talking about racism here. I'm just talking about like if someone says, no, you can't talk about race from the platform. You're like, actually, I can and I'm going to. Uh, and then, you know, but I'm not going to address this subject that this other person is really passionate about because I've gotten those letters, too. It's like, you know, back when I was a pastor, it's like the Supreme Court is ruling on X. You need to intervene. You, you're a former lawyer. You need to do this. And I was like, nope. I just want to know how you would handle that stuff. Yeah, How do you that, disappoint that, people is really the question, Mark. Well, that, that's funny because I'm sitting in a counseling session about a year ago, Carrie, yeah. and uh, I say to my counselor, I don't want to disappoint anyone ever. <laughs> and, and he turns to me and says, well, Mark, that's quite a burden to bear. And then he says, you know, it seems to me like Jesus disappointed people all the time. <laughs> drop, <laughs> drop, drop the mic. Um, Carrie, I'm getting better at disappointing people. 
Uh, and part of it is because it's just the flurry of emails that I'm getting. At the end of the day, if you live off a of compliment, you'll die by criticism. And so mm. I have to take my cues from uh, Holy Scripture and the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, that's who I'm going to be accountable to for my preaching, for my teaching, for my writing. Yeah. So is it a polite decline? Like, hey, thanks so much, Carrie. Really appreciate your uh, comments. I'm taking it into consideration or that's not something we're going to be addressing at any time in the future, like something like that. Yeah, I've learned a couple of lessons there. Uh, I used to give kind of that form letter response, um, kind of l- let me see what I can do sort of response. Oh, sort yeah, of buy, yeah. The buy false promise. Or, yeah. Yep. The, the false promise. Um, and, you know, people pleasers, you you know, false promises are our second language. And so, mm. but you know what I realized <laughs> that always doubles back. It always yeah, it circles does. back and it never works listening, out. Right. And it's right. like, so you, so you might as well just be upfront because if you think, and you, you can't be afraid to lose people um, right. over these things. And so I, I've learned that I try to discern the spirit of the email or letter or even the verbal that I'm getting. I try to perceive the spirit first. And if it's spoken in grace, I I really try to receive it, listen to it. And even if it's something that I don't agree with, I found that it often refines my, my vision casting, sometimes my, my thinking process. And so I see it as a gift. If someone comes to me with a really humble, gracious spirit and, and pushes on me a little bit, come on, bring, bring it on. That's how we grow. Um, but, but then occasionally you get those that are just, um, feel awfully unsanctified. And (laughs) as a pastor, I feel like my job is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And so sometimes I'll flip the script and, uh, I, I will push back a little bit. If I perceive that the thinking is off or the spirit's wrong, I'm not doing them any favor if I'm not pastoring them in that moment. And that can be on the range from exhortation to rebuke. And so um, I'm, I'm trying to grow a little bit in this uh, category of random, radical candor. Well, thank you for letting me cross-examine you on that. That was, uh, that was so helpful. <laughs> you know why? Because I think a lot of times, Mark, you know, a lot of people have read your books and it's amazing what God has done through your ministry and we think, well, I guess you get to the Mark Batterson level. You just don't struggle with that anymore. And it's not true, is it? It is not true, Carrie. The, the blessings of God will complicate your life. That's, that's the way I like to say it. Sin, <laughs> sin will complicate your life in a way it, it shouldn't be complicated. Blessings will complicate your life in a way it should be complicated. And, and I, I, I might even extrapolate on that because this is such an important mindset yeah, for yeah. leaders because we want it to get easier. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder, but you're going to get better and stronger and wiser. And so when Laura and I got married, it complicated my life. (laughs) Praise God. We have three complications, Parker, Summer, and Josiah. I can't imagine my life without those complications. You know, seven campuses, Carrie, it's a lot more complicated than when we were one church with one campus, when we were 19 people. 19 people was the least complicated church I ever pastored. Um, Do I want to go back there? No, I, I don't. So bring bring on the, the complication. I think leaders have a way of rising to that occasion. 
Wow. And I just want to commend you too. I mean, your your vision of a nonpartisan church, not even bipartisan, but nonpartisan or multipartisan church where people who normally wouldn't have dinner together can worship together. And perhaps as a result of worshiping together, might be able to have dinner together one day. That's a really cool vision, right? Uh, yeah, it really is. And yeah. uh, I have a feeling that the uh, the marriage supper of the lamb, that's going to be a really big table, by the way. Yeah. And uh, there are going to be some people around that table that we, we might be a little bit surprised by. So we we might as well leverage our tables now in the same kind of way that that table is going to look someday. Well, thank you for being so transparent and thank you for being so open. I think that really helped a lot of leaders, Mark, because this is this is stuff everybody's working through, right? There are no passes on this, like at the at the highest levels, at every level. Uh, if you're just starting a church, if if there are 19 people or if there's 19,000, uh, it's just complicated right now. So thanks for just opening your heart, your playbook on that. And uh, I think you did give some really good advice along the way. You got a brand new book and it's being released just in time for a brand new year. It's called Win the Day. And it's about stressing less and accomplishing more. So it's 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 like, how would you describe it? What is a book about? I was trying to put it into words. And I'm like, I wonder how Mark would phrase that. So it's not time management. It's way more complex than that, what it, or, yeah. or, or, or broader than that. So what, yeah. what, what would you say the book's about? Well, in my preaching and writing, I always look for organizing metaphors. Mm. And usually those are stories. I love history. I yeah, wanted to do. teach history. Uh, I love science. So often my, my stories kind of come from that angle. And you know, part of why why I like doing that, Carrie, is because I I love pastors, and pastors need illustrations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you you don't you don't recycle the ones like I've I've read most of your books. Uh, I think maybe all. And like I'm reading this one, you gave me an advanced manuscript, and I'm like, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. I've never heard of that. Like you're pretty good, but for those watching on YouTube, you'll see why. I look behind Mark. Okay, so there, how many how many books in your study right now? Yeah, what do you have to, it's, uh, approximately? Well, I, I read 3,000 books before I wrote one. So, um, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, y- you'll love this. We may have even talked about this one time, but the uh, I, I heard this study that the average author puts about two years into a book. Yeah. So I figured if I read 250 books a year, I could pick up 500 years of life experience and only be a year older. And so... Uh, I, I actually, in the early years of ministry, I was reading 200, 250 books a year. And, and you know, Carrie, no one believes me, but I was pastoring 19 people. I had some time on yeah, my time. hands. Yeah. So, uh, so when people ask me how old I am, I often tell them I'm about, uh, oh, pro- now I'm probably, I might be 9,000 years old in book years. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you take really good notes. We've talked about that. We'll link to all the old episodes too, because it's, uh, it's yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, so, but so I you, didn't even I didn't even answer your question though, did I? Um, uh, yeah, what's the book about? Win the day. How would you so, describe it? Well, so I I pulled a, an old uh, Sir William Osler was the father of modern medicine, and he gave this speech at Yale University in 1913. It's a brilliant speech. I've found the original copy and read it, and. Uh, in that speech, he talked about living in daytight compartments. Mm. He said, you have to bury dead yesterdays. Uh, you have to not worry too much about unborn tomorrows. You have to live day 
uh, one day at a time. And so um, that's kind of that opening story about I, I don't care what goal you're going after. I don't care what problem you're trying to solve. I don't care um, what habit you're trying to build. I know exactly how you need to do it. You have to do it one day at a time. You have to win the day, whether you're training for a marathon, trying to get out of debt, or or trying to write a book. Uh, it happens one day at a time. So that that kind of is that opening story. How did you manage time as a young leader? Uh, like when you, you read 250 books a day, but I imagine, you know, a couple of decades into leadership, your approach to time management has uh, morphed over the years. And so what was your natural default approach and then how have you changed it? Yeah. Carrie, you're, I love talking to you. You're such a good question asker. And because we're friends, I feel like I can riff a little bit. You can uh, riff all you want, man. I'm, I'm wearing an a, a ring with emperor red sensors that Laura got for me that, that tells me how much deep sleep, my respiration rate, um, kind of all of these biometrics every what, morning. What ring is that? It, it's called, this one's called an aura ring. O okay. U that's what Pat Gesslinger, who you wouldn't know, I don't think, who's also a guest that you're the second podcast guest in like a short window to show me the ring. So I got to get a ring yeah. for Christmas. Okay. So, so, um, we're, we're giving some people some birthday and Christmas ideas <laughs> and, uh, so every day it gives me a readiness score. And part of why I'm saying this is I want to start here. In fact, in, in the book, you know, I talk about the genius of this Genesis rhythm to life. In the Jewish uh, culture, the day doesn't start at sunrise. It starts mm. at sundown the night before. And and so a, a good day starts with a good night's sleep. So I, I, I felt like I needed to just put that on the record yep. because here's what I'm about to say. I, I read a book in seminary about D.L. Moody, and it said that uh, he felt a little twinge of guilt if he heard the blacksmith up hammering before he was up studying scripture. Now, now listen, I, I think there's probably a little bit of legalism there. You don't need to feel bad if you're not the first person up. But I read that story, Carrie, and it impacted me. And then I had a father-in-law that planted and pastored a church for three decades, Calvary Church in Naperville, Illinois. And he grew up on a farm and I saw how he would get up and he would be praying by 5 a.m. every morning. And I'm actually more, you know, my circadian rhythm uh, in my early years was bent more towards night owl than than lark. Hmm. But I knew that if I was going to pastor and write books, if I was going to try to do kind of two callings at the same time, I'd have to get up awfully early in the morning. So my short answer is uh, when people ask me how to write a book, I, I tell them you got to set your alarm early in the morning or or there is a way to do it late at night. But one way or the other, so much of it comes back to time management. But there again, I would remind us we're spending two hours and 22 minutes uh, on social media. And some, some of you are above average, okay? <laughs> and so, uh, Carrie... Just an hour a day, you buy back half of that time. I mean, everybody could write a book. Everybody could yeah. train for a marathon. It's amazing how much we could accomplish if we were a little bit more proactive 
in managing our time. And, and now I feel kind of funny because I'm talking to the guy who came and spoke to our staff about time management. And, and I actually told you, you had to turn it into a book. And, uh, now I'm, now I'm flipping this on you, but, uh, you're doing great. it. You got yours you? out sooner, <laughs> but it, I, I, we were saying before we started recording too. And thank you for that. That was a real challenge for me. Those of you who graduated from the high impact leader, uh, that was Mark Batterson's idea. He's like, you got to turn this content. I wrote a brand new talk for your staff. And you're like, this got to be something. And it'll be a book. Uh, I think it's September 4th or 7th, 2021. It's coming out. It's the new pub wow. date for uh, oh. for the book. The yet to sign, be titled sign book. Me, sign me up because... Oh, you're signed up. Our, our staff was talking about that for months. And you need to, with time management you need to keep coming back to it because yes. you it, you have to keep working on it. Um, you find that it, too, right? It's constant adjustments. It, it really is. And the thing that amazes me, Carrie, and, and I kind of get into this in the middle of the book that most of us live such unevaluated lives. Like we mm. don't even think about our morning routine right. or how much time we might be wasting or, or how much we could leverage um, if we put it to the right purpose, it, it does take discipline, but, uh, you know, uh, wow, this, so this, I, this. I got to ask you about that ring then. Um, cause you're monitoring deep sleep. So anybody who follows me on Instagram knows it's a bit of an obsession for me for the last couple of years. And I'll post my sleep rings. I just use, uh, my Apple watch and, uh, an app called auto sleep, but you're tracking it differently. What have you learned about sleep patterns? How much deep sleep is optimal? What helps you sleep deeper at night? I'm fascinated by all these things. Yeah, I, a couple of quick answers. One is um, going and getting a puppy two weeks ago, my sleep scores have plummeted. <laughs> uh, so we, we uh, Laura and I went and picked up a, the cutest little four-pound cockapoo, wow. and uh, she's the newest member of our family, and we love her to death. But uh, she she is uh, interrupting the sleep cycle to okay. say the least. But but that's that aside. Prior um, to that, what were you yes, learning? I I think the big thing is, um, you know, the the screen time before bed is is a huge factor. L Laura's much better at this than I am. She even has those the blue light glasses that oh, yeah. uh, can I kind of help. Um, but you know, temperature is a big deal. Um, cooler you know, you got it cooler. Um, and, and you know, that might be, uh, subjective in some sense, but you know, minus I think 63 degrees Fahrenheit. What's your ideal temperature? Oh my goodness. Then you are, uh, you, you might, uh, well, you're in Canada, aren't you? I am. I um, guess we so. are, but we love our summers <laughs> here and we actually get a summer. Uh, do you, do you have a, like a range that you like to keep yeah, it at? I'm getting yeah, super high, nerdy high, here. High sixties is high good 60s, for me. 67, 68. And, yeah. And I hope, I don't, I don't want to get in trouble saying this, but we actually, we, we invested quite a bit of time trying to find the right mattress. Now, th this was yeah, after, yeah. 20, after like 20 years of marriage. Um, and you live with hand-me-downs and whatever yep. else you can find. Yep. Yeah. No, we did that and, a couple uh, years ago too. What did you learn? Yeah, well, we learned that the first two weren't the right fit. and We finally went to a, uh, a third one. And, uh, you know, but, but there again, Carrie, it's like, do you like hard or soft mattress? Um, it, it, there's so many different, uh, the technology behind them is absolutely fascinating to me. You've got to find something that just, 
and you have to try it for a couple of months. And fortunately, you know, um, props to the the mattress companies. I mean, they they have pretty generous policies as it relates to uh, mm-hmm. trial and error. And so I, I think it's worth trying that out. And uh, this is things I never thought I would be talking about. No, I know. A, but, you know, this one of the things that contributed to my burnout was lack of sleep. And uh, years ago, I heard you know, from somebody and everybody's on a limited budget, but, um, you know, you spend a third of your life sleeping, invest in a mattress. And people are always thinking, what is the lowest amount of money I can pay for this? Meanwhile, you've got this like 60 inch plasma that you blew a whole bunch of money on, you know, and you, that's going to be, you know, probably at some recycling place in two years, three years. So uh, we thought, took that more seriously. And then shoes are another thing. As a speaker who's on the road a lot pre-COVID, uh, I started investing not in crazy shoes, but like $150, $200 shoes. And when your feet aren't on fire at the end of the day after being on your feet for 16 hours, 17 hours, it feels good. Yep. So I'm with you. Yeah. Hey, so you found and, a good and, mattress. And yep, what is a and, good night's sleep for you these days? Like how much deep sleep can you get? Puppy well, list. yeah. I mean, it, there's a lot of nights where... I'm still working on that, trying to figure out because there are nights where I'm at 30 to 45 minutes. And I know people are listening and thinking that's a, that's a so little deep sleep. But really, if you get an hour, hour and a half of deep sleep, you're actually in kind of a positive territory of, yes. of because there's REM and there's all these different sleep cycles. Um, the, the one thing I would add to that is your psychology before bed. And this is part of the brilliance of the Bible. You know, like mm. don't let the sun go down on your anger, for example. Um, our emotional state before bed has a lot to do with how we're going to sleep. And uh, this is me like opening up the, the closet door to Mark Batterson and putting things out there that I, I might laugh at myself after the fact, but well, I'll um, laugh with you because I'm fascinated by this stuff too, because it makes okay. such a difference to my performance. Like, yeah, I bring my brain to my job, right? And my heart, that's it. Yeah. And if I'm exhausted, I do horribly at this stuff. Yeah. So here, here is the, uh, here's the closet door. I, I am, um, uber competitive. Now, part of this is I, I played basketball in college, um, but I, I hate losing. Uh, <laughs> I didn't like losing Candyland to my kids. And so I love football, Carrie. And uh-huh. so during the football season, uh, with Monday night football, Sunday night football, Thursday night football, let's just say that my sleep cycles aren't as good. And uh, I came across this study one time that said that uh, fans of losing teams experience a 20% drop in testosterone the next day. Wow. And so, but, but Carrie, I think I'm above average, which means I, I probably experienced like a 40% drop. If my team loses like Monday night football, um, sometimes it, I will not have a good night's sleep. And then if they do win, I got all this adrenaline surging. So I don't sleep good then either. So man, I, what I'm saying is I'm, I'm a little messed up. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's such a gift. Mark, this is such a fun conversation. Thanks for being so transparent. I really appreciate it. So sleep's important. Um, Burying Dead Yesterdays. Walk us through the frame of the book. I hope people will go get it. It's a fascinating book. It's it's one that only you could write. You have such a distinct style. 
And, you know, every once in a while you get the hackneyed, you know, you buy a book, it's got these three stories you've heard before. I, I don't think I'd heard a single story analogy, historical reference uh, prior to reading Win the Day. But uh, walk us through the framework and how it can help leaders and really ultimately how it's helped you, Mark. Yeah. Well, you know, yesterday is history, tomorrow's mystery. So why don't we just go ahead and win the day? You know, in a mm. nutshell, that's the elevator speech. Um, but part one is about burying dead yesterdays. You can't be fully present in the present if you've got all of these past issues that that function as baggage in your life. Mm. And, and you do have to imagine unborn tomorrows. That's kind of the third section. And then right in the middle is where we do the hard work of of, uh, of win the day. And so Carrie, I, I divided it into, uh, seven habits, seven daily habits. And, uh, th- these are pretty fun. I mean, mm-hmm. we can, we won't have time to talk about all of them, no, but, but pick flip- a couple of your favorites or maybe one yeah. from each section, the buried dead yesterday's win the day and sees unborn yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll kind of throw them out rapid fire. And then, um, I, I do have a few favorites. So flip the script and kiss the wave are that that first section. But by, by the way, uh, kiss the wave. Some people will recognize that because it's a Charles Spurgeon illusion. He said you have to kiss the wave that throws you against the rock of ages. And by, by the way, in that chapter, I tell the story of Laura's battle with cancer that, you know, really um, that was our focus for a couple of years. How, how do we fight this thing? And she came across this one little question in, in a poem that said, what have you come to teach me? That approach, Carrie, to cancer, that approach to COVID, that approach to all of the problems and challenges we face is so critical. That's Such how you kiss, kiss the waves. So, um, in other then, words, embrace uh, your suffering, right? Embrace the pain you don't want to face. Yep. Yep. And it's the, it's the only way we're going to grow through it. Mm. And, uh, and, and then, uh, when the day I talk about, uh, eat the frog and fly the kite, which, uh, have some fun with, and then imagine, uh, unborn tomorrows. We talk about, uh, cut the rope and wind the clock, wind the clock. I had so much fun because yeah, tell I us love, about that one. If you had a lot of fun. Yeah. With it. Well, I mean, Carrie, if you go see the doctor, how does the doctor discern your chronological age? Uh, he, he does it. There's only one way. He asks you how old you are. He asks you what your birthday is. <laughs> I was it's looking for like, a really complicated answer on that. I, exactly. Okay. It's not like you're a tree that uh, has a certain number of rings that, that can be counted. It, it, there, there's a study in there by Ellen Langer, who, who is kind of famous for mindfulness. That's sort right. of her, her terminology. But uh, wow, there's a story in there um, that uh, about the way that you can grow younger as you grow older. It, it, I, wanted, I want to live to 100. Now, the funny mm. thing is, I'm not sure I'm a great candidate because I had asthma for 40 years before God healed me. Uh, you know, I, I had ruptured intestines that almost killed me at 30. Uh, and uh, I have two ACL reconstructions from my basketball days. So I'm like a walking hospital. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I really um, I want to die young at a ripe old age. Mm. And uh, and so that part of the book, I think, is going to be a challenge to readers that that maybe have taken a few more trips around the sun 
And uh, you are not past your prime. You do not age out in the kingdom of God. You cannot read the Bible and tell me that God doesn't love people who using people who are, you know, 85-year-old Caleb's and 100-year-old Abraham's. And so I, I know that your, your uh, listeners kind of are all across the range, a lot of young leaders. And listen, your, your youthfulness doesn't disqualify you either. God said to Jeremiah, do not say, uh, I am too young. Don't say it. No, God loves using uh, us despite what we think uh, are the things that disqualify us. Um, that uh, Yeah. Well, that leads to a really interesting question because you've been doing what you are doing at the same place with the same people for 25 years. Similar story here. And at this stage of life, I I feel younger at 55 than I did at 35, at least to some extent in my body some days because I'm in better shape, but um, mentally as well. And I hope that that continues. Um what has kept you fresh and engaged? Because a lot of people, this is how they do it. It's like, well, I was here for five years, then I moved on, went somewhere, was there for seven years, then I renewed myself. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but like to stay in the same place with the same people in the same environment and feel continually renewed and optimistic and have fresh ideas, that's a special skill set. How do you do that? What are some of the habits that you've cultivated that lead to that, Mark? Mm. I think I have about three different answers to that. Go for it. One, one is I, I'm always always mindful, Carrie, that every pastor is an interim pastor. So I want to put that out there up front that I, I don't care if you pastor a church for 50 years. I started young enough that uh, in some form or fashion, you know, I won't be the lead pastor past a certain age because I don't think that's maybe being fair uh, to our church. But you know, I have I have a pretty good shot at 50 years at this thing because we started so young, but I'm always cognizant of the fact that I am an interim pastor. And so that that is part of my mindset. But I, I really believe in that uh, long obedience in the in the same direction, yeah, Nietzsche. But uh, of course, Eugene Peterson popularized it for a lot of pastors. And so um, you let your roots grow deep. And you trust that uh, God is going to produce fruit. You overestimate what you can do in a year or two, underestimate what God can do in 10 or 20. And so, you know, I I look back now and uh, you have to play the long game. Uh, We are not trying to build a church. We're trying to bless a city. We're trying to do things that will make a difference 70 years from now. Why? Because that's our theology of the city. It's Jeremiah 29. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Plant gardens. Build houses. God knew that they would be there for 70 years, the Jewish people as exiles in Babylon. We need that same mindset. And so I think there's something about that, Carrie, that keeps you young. Um, I, I think vi- without a vision, the people perish. Yeah. I think you 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 age quicker if you don't have a vision that you're going after. And yep. so we, we've got some God-sized visions that, you know, we have a city block right now that we, we bought it for 29 million. We put another 20 million into it. We, we aren't doing that for us, hmm. um, but God's vision for this church is bigger than ours. And so when you invest yourself in something that's, that's bigger and longer than you are, somehow it, it really, it really keeps you young. You don't, you don't age out. And then, and then, uh, you know, I've got a hundred life goals and, uh, some of those are going to take a long time to accomplish, uh, can you give yeah. us a, a, a sneak peek of one or two that you've accomplished and maybe one or two that's left of those 100 life goals? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's funny when God healed my asthma, and I share that story in the book, um, 40 years, severe asthmatic, and I prayed a brave prayer. God answered. I, I am now, I think I'm at 1,435 days inhaler free. I count the days um, because each day is miraculous to me. And so I went out and, and ran the Chicago Marathon to celebrate that miracle. Um, and, and so some of them are physical. Uh like hiking the Grand Canyon rim to rim uh, with my oldest son, Parker, uh, or rafting the Colorado River with my youngest son, Josiah. Some some are financial. You know, we want to give back uh, to National Community Church more than we made in salary. And uh, that, you know, part of that is possible because of the writing piece. But, but um, you know, we uh, as a church, we want to give a set a goal that we would give 25 million emissions. We've actually given 20 million over the last 17 years. So we're going to need wow. to up up that financial goal. So some are physical, some are financial. A lot are relational. Um, you know, why why set a goal, Carrie, of, uh, of of going to the top of the Eiffel Tower when you can set a goal uh, of kissing your wife on top of the Eiffel Tower. Now that's a little <laughs> bit better, isn't it? So that is a way um, better goal. So uh, those hundred life goals um, we're we're making available to to readers of the book. In fact, there's a link in the book, but I'm I'm going to put that on my website. Just to I'm a big believer in life goals that you you won't accomplish 100 percent of the, the goals you don't set, and right. so. Um, you, I begged, borrowed, and stolen a few goals from other people and, and adapted them, put my fingerprint on them. And so uh, I think one of the great outcomes of this book, you know, thinking about imagining unborn tomorrows uh, would be if I could help some people maybe come up with uh, 10, 20, 50, 100 life goals. I, I think uh, it keeps us young. That's Well, that's, that, would uh, be, that would be worth the price of the book alone to get some goals and some vision. And I think you're right. It goes into a just cause and a mission that's bigger than you are. When you become the mission, it's time to get a new mission. It's just not exciting enough, <laughs> you know, for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, and, no uh, doubt. And I see that in you. Uh, Mark, I know we talked about this briefly on the Church Pulse Weekly uh, show. You did a couple episodes with David Kinnaman and I, but I want to get your sense because it's really quite memorable to me about, you know, where the, the future is going. Uh, for leadership, for the church, for in-person events. So um, as we're recording this, have you reopened physically any of your locations yet? We or, have not. No. We have no. not. And, and uh, Do you have a date on the calendar or not yet? We're, we're eyeing 2021. Um, we are not legally able to gather uh, because Washington, D.C. is still on, on lockdown. And then, Carrie, we just uh, we, we got some news about uh, some movie theaters closing indefinitely, which affects five of our campuses and our ability. We, we may not relaunch where we last gathered. Um, so we everything is up in the air for us right now. And, and it's crazy because the peace that passes understanding somehow is guarding my heart. And You're mind. not panicking, and, and, are you? We no, talked not a bunch. at all. You're not. And, and I and I think it's because we've seen God close doors and then open other doors so many times in our history that just there's almost this implicit trust that uh, we, we want to see how this is going to play out. But yeah, I, I would say um, so everything's still up in the air for us. Um, I, I did a two day silent retreat and uh, 
this is something I might advocate for. There's so much white noise. We need a little bit of ear cleansing, especially as leaders. And so um, on that silent retreat, the Lord really spoke a few things to me. I think one is I really felt once again, and obviously, you know, I've written a book on prayer, The Circle Maker. Um, you know, I, I did a prayer circle 4.7 miles in 96. We now own six properties worth about 75 million. We own them debt free on that prayer circle, Carrie. I mean, it's just an absolute miracle. So, so it's not like I, I haven't been into prayer. God's saying, um, double down. Mm. And, and I felt like the Lord said, if, if you'll turn national community church into a house of prayer, I'll turn it into a house of healing, a house of miracles, a house of reconciliation for all people. And so we're, we're, wow. you know, we have a couple hundred people, uh, weekday mornings gathering what we call the upper zoom. If you had told me at the beginning of the year that we would have hundreds of people at seven fourteen AM gathering to pray day in and day out, I would have said revival broke out. Hmm. Well, no COVID broke out, yeah. but, but then, but maybe revival is breaking out. And, uh, and so then the one other big shift is this realization that if we're relying on the weekend, uh, we're in trouble. Um, mm. and so, you know, in some ways I, I feel like, like our dream center, we've served 50,000 meals during this COVID season and, and some, you know, we had 30 missions trips that we weren't able to take physically. And so there are certainly things we haven't been able to do, but, um, once shift that we made this fall was, you know, if you add up 52 messages, 52 weekends times a 30 minute sermon, that's only 26 hours. That's not going to get us where we need to go. And so we launched NCC Daily, uh, which is a podcast. It's a five minute kind of quick hit Monday to Friday. And the idea is pretty simple. The, the only ceiling on our intimacy with God and impact on the world is daily spiritual disciplines. Mm. And so I feel like our job is to help people practice those spiritual disciplines. And Carrie, you know this better than about anybody I know, that it's so easy for people to go to church, check a box, and check out Monday to Friday. Yep. And and it is, it, God, God is is decentralizing his church. I think he's reminding us that we're the priesthood of believers, we're the company of prophets. Yeah. And uh, and he's raising up a remnant and he's activating the gifts of the spirit and he's moving in ways that I've not witnessed. And part of it is that I'm meeting more and more people like me that that feel this daily dependence on, on being spirit-filled and spirit-led. And so maybe God has us right where he wants us. I know it's almost an an. an an unanswerable question because you don't even know when you're going to be allowed to reopen. Nobody knows where the virus is going. We all thought it'd be gone by now. It's not blah, blah, blah. But when you reimagine NCC in the future, what will be the same and what will be different as it sits right now? Well, I, I don't, it, it, well, our, our, our online campus I know is forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it, we've seen the significance, you know, I think we've had uh, 362 raised hands, people making a decision to follow Christ. Wow. And we've become more intentional on that front at helping people take that step of faith as we've gone, uh, to this more socially distanced approach to church. And so, um, 
you know, in some ways we'll, we'll continue to leverage technology and, and do it more effectively. I do think that the pendulum will swing back and, and people, the day will come when you can maybe at least fist bump. I don't know. Maybe we won't even do that. Maybe it will be still the, the distance waving, but people are craving it. We, we miss being together. And I'm finding that we brought our staff together, um, not all of our staff, but but we probably had 30 of our, 35 of our staff in a room together this week, which is the most staff we've had in the same place outside of a Zoom call in about six months. It, it was electric. Mm-hmm. It was like, wow, it's amazing. There, there aren't as many people, but, um, you know, the, the best churches are, what, what, what percentage of people are coming back to the churches that are crushing it? Yeah, 60% is sort of the top end of what I hear. Yep. And it's generally the return to church these days is somewhere between 20 and 60%. Maybe I yeah. think I heard one seventy percent but. Yeah. And so my question is, will, will we ever get back to that 100% or 110? Yeah. In other words, when do we get back to the place where we're, we're growing? Um, because people are afraid to go into any environment, not, not everybody, but a lot of people are afraid of going into an uncontrolled environment, especially an environment they haven't been into. And so if our only metric for success is weekend numbers, that's what needs to flip. And we've got to think in different categories And, and you've been so great at coaching so many of us as it relates to engagement and how do we think in different categories and what does success look like? And, and we've always felt like that's more measured by how are we giving to missions? How are we caring for the poor in our city? Yeah. Well, guess what? Those, those numbers have gone up. Uh, in fact, beyond our regular giving this year, we created a relief fund to help people that are really hard hit, people that have lost a job, people that have been impacted, uh, as well as other churches, because some mm. churches are really struggling. Yeah. Our people, above and beyond their regular giving, um, have given almost half a million dollars. I think we're um, just a little bit south of half a million dollars that our people have given above and beyond normal giving that we've been able to then redistribute, which Carrie, I mean, that's sounding a lot like Acts 2, isn't it? Yeah. Where, you know, and I'm so, I'm just so, I, I've been so blessed by the generosity of our congregation. And that's coming out of a capital campaign uh, for this city block that we've been building. But I, I think it, I think we've tried to cultivate that kind of culture that really celebrates uh, generosity. You've had a lot of fun too midweek doing that daily devotional on Instagram uh, and the daily podcast. And and last week we were mailing back and forth and you're like, what gear if I'm going to do a podcast studio? So I gave you my list and here we are talking a week later. You got your mic, your boom arm, you know, you're all set up. You're going pro, dude. Oh man, I listen, I'm just trying to keep up with the new house. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. So you're going to be, you're going to be way more online than you used to be. Will you moving forward? Tell us what's yeah, behind I, that and what, what you have in mind. Well, when, when COVID hit, I started posting these two minute messages on Twitter and Instagram and they became like this lifeline for people. And, and you know, they're being watched by tens of thousands of people. And I'm thinking, okay, that, that seems to be effective or working. And it, you know, it's just, it's discerning what works, what doesn't work. And I know all of us have experienced some Zoom fatigue, mm. but the reality is 
some meetings are more effective in that context. There's some things you don't need to fly there for. Yeah. And so um, I'll give a good example, Carrie, because both of us are authors and we often do kind of a book tour. Well, I don't think I'm going to be doing a lot of physical travel for win the day, but I'm going to do a virtual tour. And so if there is a staff or a team or a book club or a church that wants to read through win the day, hey, let me pop on a Zoom call for a half an hour. You you pick which one of those seven habits or you tell me, hey, what what are you wrestling with? And uh, let's leverage technology. My All right, hunch, get ready. Here they come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's just kind of taking a slightly different trajectory because for me, it's the travel that's the wear and tear. You, you yeah. know I put a boundary in place uh, a couple of years ago where I don't do more than seven overnight speaking trips a year. And, and that's because of the d- demands of pastoring the church. But Zoom, uh, I think, is going to allow me, I-, I can do this tour, I, I can be in Timbuktu tomorrow. Yeah, you totally can. And and I just I just want to say to leaders listening to like Mark and I've had that conversation I think on this podcast before about the limits that you put on in your travel and I always understood that and respected it Craig Grishel very similar I think his number might be a dozen if that's off it's not that far off where he just doesn't do a lot of overnights and I always respected that but I allowed travel creep to get into my life and you know COVID shut that down and now I'm like oh I love my old life but this is better. And so I think when things open up again, I will probably have similar boundaries. Uh, and part of that is trade-off, right? Like if, if, if you think even on the Sunday morning matrix, we already knew, and I'd love your comment on this, that, you know, at least half of NCC wasn't actually in the building on any given Sunday morning, even on your peak Sundays, right? You knew that. Like you could have a full house, but half the people who call NCC home weren't there. They were at the lake. They were visiting family. They slept in. They lost track of time, whatever. Traffic got in the way. They just didn't make it to church. Um, and, and the same with travel. You're trading time. You, know, you can only be in one place at one time for a set amount. If I do a course, I can help a lot of people. We, got a, we did this webinar that got over 12,000 people to it, you know, which is like insane. And I didn't leave my house. And so digital just allows the amplification of ministry in a way that um, physical ministry doesn't. Physical ministry is here to stay. People will always be in church. You're always going to be in the room. But I think the impact, like you say, for those little Instagram videos, and if you follow Mark on social, those are not high production things. Those are you and your iPhone just riffing for two minutes daily. Yep. Yep. And uh I love it. One of my favorite parts of when the day I talk about doing the math Mm. and that's kind of what you're doing, Carrie. We we need to be a little bit, we we need to have better arithmetic and I'll I'll give leaders an example. And this is how I have Jedi mind trick myself. I have hard time saying no to anybody. So if someone asks for a meeting with me for 30 minutes, that's 30 minutes times one person. And that's important. There's tremendous value in one-on-one meetings. But I know that on any given weekend, if I'm preaching a 30-minute message to thousands of people, I've done the math, it equals 72 days. That's two and a half months of time. And so I've got to make sure that I'm prioritizing my study time so that I'm not wasting 72 days of time. Another example is writing. When I'm in a writing season, I don't take outside meetings. Uh, 
I, I, I lock down with writing retreats on the beginning and the end. Our teaching team does more of the lifting. And part of that is um, like the circle maker, for example. If, if you take the number of copies sold times five hours as an average reading time, it's well over a millennium. Uh, so, so Carrie, what I do is I do the math and I kind of trick myself. And, uh, and so there's a little part of the book where I talk about if you want the days to count, count the days. Mm. And, and I would also say count the minutes, count the hours, because I think everybody that's listening right now, you would be surprised at what you could accomplish if you simply reallocated a set amount of time and were, be, and were disciplined with it and, and leverage a few tactics like habit stacking, um, leverage a few tactics like uh, morning rituals. You start to do a few things like that. And, and now, now you're not just trying to win the lottery. Now you're winning the day and, yeah. and you add it up and it's going to make a difference in a year or two or 10. It's so good because we talk about that on our team too, Mark. And, you know, it's like, are you going to speak to, so here's the AB scenario, speak to a thousand people or a hundred leaders. I would pick a hundred leaders day in and day out, because let's just assume those leaders are all leading a hundred people. So a hundred leaders leading a hundred people, you've influenced 10,000 people, not a thousand people. And leaders are probably more likely the kind of audience that will multiply whatever you invested in them. So... That's similar thinking. I love it. And that, wow, you just, you just nailed it. And Carrie, you're living it because you are, you know, there are pastors of pastors and there are leaders of leaders. And you, I just want to say this, I've said it to you privately, but, um, your, your podcast has been a lifeline for me. In fact, I, I jokingly said before we went on the air that uh, we've taken a lot of really long runs together that usually, you know, because your podcasts They're are long. long form, if I'm going on a long run or a long on a long bike, uh, I just I, I listen. The only problem is you don't help my pace. And I'll tell you why. Because I actually have to then take <laughs> notes on my phone, so you you slow me down. Well, if you Carrie, make it to hundred, you can thank one of the two time. and a half hour episodes I did. Okay, it was like that extra run gave me the extra year. So yes, I uh, love it. It's love such it. a joy, and honestly, you know, like like I don't know, this is time number five or six for you on the show, but like we said before we started recording, it the joy for me is we meet you at a whole other place in the journey. Uh, you're so transparent. I know even that first half hour of this episode where we talked about the pressures of a hyperpartisan culture and how you deal with that to like nerdy stuff like sleep and the impact that makes and and the things you don't know. I just know that encourages and refreshes a lot of leaders. So the book is called Win the Day. I'm very excited for it. Uh, instead of a special website, obviously Amazon, wherever you buy your books, but is there anything in particular you want to draw leaders' attention to as they access that? Yeah, if if they just go to markbatterson.com, there's a little page for win the day, right. and uh, they'll, they'll be kind of a, there's a download there for seven steps to setting life goals, and as well as my list of 100 life goals, Carrie, because I like, I like sharing those kinds of things as just a little added bonus. Well, that's amazing. Mark, you're a gift. So grateful for you and Laura. Thank you for investing 
so much in leaders today and uh, really appreciate our friendship and, and your leadership in my life. Thank you. Well, right back at you. God bless. Mark and I have had uh, more than a few conversations on this podcast. I think that one's my favorite. We just kind of went all over the place. Uh, and one of the things I love about deep friendships is you learn more about your friends all the time. Every time you get together with them, those are the good ones. And we have transcripts of this, including some highlights and links from the episode. You can find that at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 383. Stay tuned for what I am thinking about at the end of the show, where I talk to you about how to get rid of competing demands on your time in 2021. Just a, a strategy, a hack that I've used for a long time. And for all of you who are new to the show, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we just try to deconstruct great leadership here. And we're going to do that again next time with a conversation with Bob Westfall. So a lot of organizations have struggled with generosity this year, with giving, with budget. Um, we kind of cracked the code on that because he has helped Charities and not-for-profits raise over $1 billion. And I asked him for some of the secret sauce. It was a fascinating conversation. Here's an excerpt from the next episode. Here's a story of a life that was transformed because of an international gift that we made as a church. Here's a story of a, of a regional impact of a family's life that was impacted because of giving from this church. Here's a story of someone who now attends our church uh, that didn't and how that engagement happened. And then I would say, now you have an opportunity in the pew to do something with your lives and your resources to do the same. The question is this for you. As you begin to prayerfully consider your engagement with our church and in, in, this, in this offering, will you invite God into that conversation? Will you ask God between you and your spouse, God, what are you laying on our heart to give to this right now? Will you both engage in that conversation? Will you engage God? I'm sure God has an opinion. Perhaps you'd like to ask him right now. That's next time on the podcast. And if you subscribe, you get it for free. Thank you for leaving ratings and reviews. I really appreciate them. Future guests include Kayla Steckline. We talk about suicide, depression, and leadership. Uh, Jeff and Tara Matson talk about the integrity gap. We have Andy Stanley, Patrick Lencioni, John Acuff, Rob Palinka, the GM of the Lakers. Uh, let's see who else. Dr. John Cotter from Harvard Business School, Craig Grishel, and so many others coming up early in 2021. We're really excited about this. And if there's somebody you think you would like to hear, let us know. Hit me up on social. Carrie Newhoff on Instagram, C. Newhoff on Twitter and Facebook. We'd love to know your suggestions. And of course, you can email us at carrie at carrienewhoff.com. So it's time for what I'm thinking about. This segment is brought to you by the Ascent Leader Cohorts. You can apply for their craft and character communication cohort today by going to theascentleader.org and by the 2021 Church Leader Toolkit. It's my brand new resource. It's free. You can get it by texting toolkit to 33777 or go to churchleadertoolkit.com. So what I'm thinking about is you're going to have more demands on your time, not only heading into the holiday season, but also in 2021 than ever. Leadership is not getting any simpler. And I don't know about you, but I always find as a leader that the opportunities available always exceed the time available. And I noticed a number of years ago, people were saying, listen, Carrie, it's not much. I just need five minutes of your time. I just need 10 minutes of your time. And um, there was a day where I almost snapped and I'm like, you know, you can't have five minutes of my time. Now, you, you can't say that out loud or you will have no friends. But you ever feel that way? Uh, what do you do? How, do? how do you handle that? And so I want to walk you through a few steps 
on how to say no nicely. I joke with my team that basically some of them are, are, are paid to say no all day long. We get so many inbound requests here. It just like people want to be on the podcast and we choose that very carefully. We get about 15 of those a week that we have to respond to. We get hundreds, if not, well, actually thousands of emails a week uh, from people. We try to respond to everyone. We try to do it kindly. And I get more opportunities than I have time available. And so do you. So how do you handle all that, right? Whether it's somebody who randomly wants to have coffee with you, somebody who's saying, how come you didn't? Somebody who says, hey, I got this great opportunity. Um, how do you say no? And, and to be honest with you, I am not very good at it because I would say yes, and then I get burned out, and then I get exhausted. So here's some some things that have helped. And this is what I train my team on. This is what I try to do on my good days. I get it right. On my bad days, not so much. But number one, start here. Just be kind. Show some empathy. Um, The people who want a, a piece of your time, whether that's in your company or your church, they probably want to meet with you for what to them is a great reason. And um, if this is true, and it's true for me, I would love to do everything that comes my way. Generally speaking, there's a few things that's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. But mostly, I I really want to. And if that's true, and you can say it with integrity, um, start here. It's like, man, I would love to do that. I'd love to speak at your event. I'd love to have you on the podcast. I'd love to, I'd love to, you know, whatever that is. And and then when that doesn't quite, um, probably not enough. So what do you do? You redirect them. That's step two. I'm amazed at how many times people think I can help them when, in fact, other people might be better positioned to do it. For example, um, you know, maybe there's a counselor who can do a better job. Maybe there's another leader who would do a better job. Maybe there's another opportunity that they haven't thought of. So you can do that. Another thing you can do is you can defer. You can say, listen, I can't right now. Now, that's got limits. Okay, I've talked about that with John Townsend on previous episodes, with Henry Cloud and with other leaders. So you can say, I can't now, but how about later? Now, only say that if you're positive that you can do it later, because otherwise you're just setting up people to be disappointed in the future. What makes this easier? Be clear on your priorities. If you haven't thought through what's important, everything will seem important. So most of the time you don't say no because you don't know what you should say no to or why you should say no. So I want to think about what will deliver the most value. What will, you know, if I say yes to a speaking engagement, virtual or or physical, is that going to have um, a significant enough impact on leaders? Is, you know, are the guests that I bring you going to be the right kind of guests in the future? You know, because I only have 24 hours in a day. So I have to get really clear uh, and I'm a utilitarian. I want to do the greatest good for the greatest number on what is going to help me fulfill my calling and my mission and so I have to be really clear. That will be a great filter for you. And then um, another thing you can do is change expectations. So when I was a pastor of a church, um, you know, when we were small, everyone expected a visit. Well, now we have thousands of people who call our church home. Uh, that didn't work. That doesn't scale. So what I did was I recast expectations around outside counselors and small groups and others who could do pastoral care. And soon, it took a few years, but people no longer looked to me to do what the pastor of a smaller church would do. If I could focus on casting vision and, and clear communication and great sermons and advancing the mission, then I was kind of doing my job. And, and you know, I do dive into the public inbox every once in a while. And, you know, people are so gracious and they're like, hey, I know you get a thousand emails a day, but, you know, I don't know if you'll ever see this, but, and I do see that sometimes. And my team tries to respond to every single one of them. Um, but, you know, you just have to set expectations that I would love to. I just can't do everything. 
and healthy people respect that. And then the other thing I would say is uh, schedule appointments with yourself. One of the traps we have in, in this world is a blank calendar. And people say, hey, what are you doing on Friday? And you're like, nothing? Good. Then they just decide that this is what they want you to do for them. So if you can say, hey, I've got my day set aside and um, I, I'm not free Friday. Now, you might be taking a day off. You might be relaxing. You might be doing a variety of things. Or you might be working on a message. Or you might be having a date day with your spouse or something like that. Um, but it gives you an out. And so I schedule my time. And if someone says, hey, are you free for breakfast on Friday? I'm like, no. Now, I might be writing a message or something like that. But if I don't get that message done Friday morning, and I would normally not leave it that late, you know, then I'm going to be writing a Friday night when I should be having date night with my wife or Saturday when I should be doing something social, right? So you got to schedule appointments with yourself. So I hope that helps you. I know the demands on your time are probably going to escalate. Those are some strategies that have helped me. And uh, I so appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.